Today's scripture I will be reading is found in 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 1 through 7. I'll be reading from the NIV. Please hear the word of the Lord. To the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder and a witness of Christ's suffering, who also will share in the glory to be revealed. Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care. Watch over them, not because you must, but because you are willing, as God wants you to be. Not pursuing dishonest gains, but eager to serve. Not lording over those entrusted in you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. In the same way, you who are younger, submit yourself to the elders. All of you clothe yourself with humility toward one another because God opposes the proud, but show favor to the humble. Humble yourself, therefore, under God's mighty hand that he will lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Don. Thank you, worship team, for leading us this morning. Good morning, Trinity Church. So good to see you here this morning. Thank you for being here for worship, for coming out on a somewhat of a foggy, rainy morning, a little different than the beautiful day we had last Sunday, but you are here, so thank you for doing that. And just to, to say uh, an additional word on our, our missions emphasis for today. We try to do this, by the way, once a month. Can get back into that routine of doing this once a month where we emphasize one of our mission outreaches and uh, kind of put together all of our local missions for this month. And so that's why you see uh, five on that card. And let me just encourage you, as Nick said at the beginning, pick up one of those cards on your way out. Use it to pray for and maybe even volunteer at those ministries. Um, we recognize that we cannot do everything there is to do, meet every need in our community just from our particular church place right here. That we, so we support and we push people out and have a help out to these organizations that have specialized in meeting these particular needs that you saw on the screen. So um, help us with that just by being partners in prayer. And if God puts something on your heart to, to volunteer and help in a particular way, maybe one of those ministries is just near and dear to your heart, then jump in, dive in, call them up, or email them and offer to help them because they need those volunteers to keep going and uh, we want to be a support in that way as well as a church. So uh, don't miss that blessing of that opportunity. Um, by the way, too, for tonight, we didn't put it on the screen because um, registration and so on is already over. But if you're signed up to come tonight, the Sing Conference is right in here at 6 o'clock tonight, the first of four. If you're missing it tonight, uh, sign up for one of the next ones. 
or all three of the next ones. We're going to do this each month till the end of the year. A great opportunity to come together just in worship and praise and hearing instruction specifically geared to helping us become better worshipers of our God. So don't miss that tonight if you're signed up. <clears throat> Let's go to the Lord in prayer and ask for His has help and blessing as we go to with His Word. Lord, we thank You for this time together this morning. Thank You for bringing us together. Thank You for giving us this chance to connect with one another. Lord, for those that are watching this service online right now on our live stream, I pray that You would minister to them right where they are too. Connect their hearts to ours and, and to Yours in this time of worship and and it's time in the Word. And Lord, as we've been singing, we recognize that all that we have is from You and that uh, we are in desperate need of You in our lives. Uh, if it were not for You, Lord Jesus, we would not be able to uh, have this hope and this assurance and this, of this life that we so desperately need. So thank You for being there for us, for being our Savior for finding us, being the good shepherd who finds us and pulls us back in even when we wander, as we sang about this morning. So, uh, Lord, we just ask for your help even now as we go to your word. Uh, make it understandable to us. Give us the heart and the desire to respond to it, to live it out, to follow what we're hearing and, and studying this morning. And as I pray... As I always pray, Lord, I pray that you would guard my words, help me to accurately, rightly communicate your truth, what you want us to hear and focus on this morning, and then by the power of your Holy Spirit and your living word, then affect that change in us, move us, and, and shake us up if we need that. Pull us to you so that we can become more like Jesus today. And all this we pray in the name of Jesus, our Savior, amen. He did what he always did when he didn't know what to do. Peter went fishing. It was after the Lord's resurrection, and uh, they had seen the Lord. The disciples had seen him, and he'd appeared to them, but they weren't sure what was next. They, they didn't have their marching orders yet. And so Peter said to a few of the other disciples, uh, well, let's go fishing. That's what he knew best. That's what he'd done all of his life until he met Jesus. And so Six of the disciples and Peter went out on a boat, went fishing, and the passage in, in John tells us that they fished all night and they caught nothing. By the way, have you ever wondered why that happens so often in Scripture? These guys who are fishermen and they couldn't seem to ever catch any fish. But then in the morning, they see this figure on the shore who calls out to them and says, throw your nets over to the right side of the boat. And when they did, they caught more fish than they could actually haul in. They into the boats. In fact, the text in John tells us they, they counted them. There was 153 fish in that one haul of that net. And as soon as that happened, it registered with the disciples. And Peter especially, it's like, this has happened before. This was a miracle that Jesus had done before, and it happened again. And so they knew that had to be Jesus on the shore that told them to throw their nets on the other side. And so Peter, in his excitement, he jumps in the water. He swims to shore to see Jesus. The rest of the disciples haul the nets in behind their boats. And then this extraordinary moment happens. They have a fish fry with Jesus, breakfast on the beach. Jesus had already prepared a fire. He already had fish frying there. I guess he got his own fish. He wasn't waiting on those guys to bring the fish in. 
They added their other fish in, and here they are, breakfast on the beach with Jesus. Could it get any better than that? Well, it did for Peter, because I think this was still a hard moment for Peter. It had only been a short amount of time since that night when Peter denied the Lord three times. And so maybe at that breakfast, he still had a little trouble looking Jesus in the eye. So after breakfast, John tells us, Jesus took Peter aside, and he said, Simon, which was Peter's given name, Simon, do you love me? Peter said, yes, Lord, you know I love you. And it was almost like without even saying, it was despite all the things that happened, despite denying you, Lord, I do, I do love you. And then you know what Jesus says? Feed my sheep. Take care of my sheep. And so this happens three times, the same questions, the same answers, three times. No accident there, I don't think. Three denials, three affirmations from Jesus. And Peter, who wasn't sure he could still be part of the plan, is told to be a shepherd, to feed the Lord's sheep. So it's no real surprise then when we come to our passage today, as you just heard Don read a moment ago, and this moment by the Sea of Galilee seems to stick with Peter as he's writing to these believers who are suffering persecution in Asia Minor. And he knows at this moment, of all moments, the leaders of those churches needed to be shepherds. They needed to step up and do exactly what Jesus had told Peter to do. The leaders of those churches needed to do as well. In a time of crisis, the leaders needed to step up, not shrink back. We ended last week with Peter saying, these words, and we'll put it on the screen, chapter 4, verse 19. By the way, remember, there's, when Peter wrote this letter, there were no chapter divisions. Those are added later. So the, the letter just flows on from this verse to the next where we're starting today. He says, so then those who suffer according to God's will should commit themselves to their faithful creator and continue to do good. And so as he moves into chapter 5, it's not a whole different subject matter. He is speaking now to the leaders and he's saying, Yes, even though you all are suffering, even though times are hard, you need to commit yourself to the Lord and continue to do good by being the shepherds God called you to be. We're in our own crisis right now, aren't we? You, you know this. We've mentioned this, I think, every week. You hear it on the news every single day. Global pandemic, political upheaval, racial tensions, natural disasters, and that's all in addition to whatever craziness may be going on in your own life. And in, in times like this, Peter is saying to them, and he's saying to us, we need leaders who will faithfully shepherd God's flock. And it's on, on a personal note, I'm so thankful that over these last seven months, we've had Leaders here at Trinity, our elders and our deacons who have stepped up and who have helped and served in maybe ways they never intended to, never knew they would be called on to serve. And it's also no accident, this is God's providence as well, that we come to this passage in 1 Peter 5, right we're in the midst of nominations for new elders and deacons. 
This has been God's plan all along. We couldn't have planned this. This is God's plan. And so you're going to hear me reference this, but just know this is where we are as a church. We're right in the middle of these nominations, selecting those who will serve in these leadership capacities over the next few years, and this passage speaks directly to them. We need to take this process seriously. And I'm asking you to pray for our staff, for our elders, for our deacons, for other ministry leaders here at Trinity Church, the shepherds that Peter talks to today. And we need to hear what he says because Peter tells us what kind of leaders the church needs, but he also tells us what we as a church should be as God's flock. So don't just tune out and say, oh, I'm not an elder or a deacon or a pastor, so this doesn't apply to me. No, because the passage speaks to all of us as the flock of God as well. And so I invite you to turn to 1 Peter chapter 5. If you're not already there already, take a Bible, follow along, follow on your phone or electronic device, whatever you have with you today. 1 Peter chapter 5, those first seven verses, and just two basic points today. The first Principle focuses on the leaders, but the second principle focuses then on the flock, the shepherds and then the flock in verses 5 to 7. So we start with our first principle. God rewards the shepherds who care for the flock. God rewards the shepherds who care for the flock. Verse 1, to the elders among you I appeal as a fellow elder and a witness of Christ's sufferings who also share in the glory to be revealed. So when Peter uses this word elder... It's not an uncommon word. Paul uses this as well. It kind of refers to the honor shown to those in leadership. It was a word kind of carried over from Judaism. But the word overseer is also often used, and they seem to be interchangeable in the New Testament in the way that they're used. Overseer gives a little more explanation of the administrative part, the the ministry oversight that the elders were to engage in. And so you have this thorough description of the character of elders and overseers given by, by Paul when he writes to Titus, who was given the responsibility to appoint elders in the churches. And so I would put the reference on the screen here, Titus 1, verses 6 to 9. We're not going to read that, but I encourage you to go and read it. If, if you're a member of Trinity and you're going to be nominating somebody to be an elder here, then you need to read through and pray through this passage because Paul describes the character traits of an elder in a church. In our day, we also use the term pastor. So elder we use, overseer, we don't use that term as often. Pastor is very common. Pastor simply translates to the word shepherd. It's another word for shepherd. And that makes sense that that's another term for church leaders, as you'll see in our passage today, but also in, in the passage in Acts 12 where Paul speaks to the Ephesian elders. We'll come back to that one in just a moment. and You can see what Paul says there to those leaders who are shepherds. So that's what this is addressing in the first few verses of our passage. Peter's addressing the elders, the overseers, the pastors, the shepherds who were serving these churches in Asia Minor that he writes this letter to. And notice how he makes his appeal to them. Not as an apostle or some other authority position that he could have kind of thrown out there and said, hey, I'm in charge here, this is what you need to do. He says, I'm speaking to you as a fellow elder. Peter knew this. He understood this. He served the churches in the same way. He had this experience, and so he, he writes to them out of this ex- shared experience, and he references being a witness to Christ's suffering. 
Now, Peter saw a lot of suffering that Jesus went through, but maybe especially he was thinking of that very night when he denied Jesus. And he was right there in the courtyard of the high priest and watched those false accusations, watching Jesus be slapped around. He saw the suffering. He understood what Jesus went through. All that we talked about last week, Peter understood that. But he also understood what was to come. He saw the glory of Jesus, and he knew that was his promise. That's what awaited him to. And so this whole theme of living hope throughout this book that we've been talking about is here in Peter's words again. Yes, I was witness to the sufferings of Christ, but I will also participate in the glory that is to come when Jesus returns. So this is his authority to make this appeal which comes then in verse 2. So he says there, Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, watching over them. The first thing to notice is that Peter says, Be shepherds of whose flock? God's flock. Not your flock, not Peter's flock. God's flock. So, Throughout my ministry, I've, I've tried to avoid, if it's a fairly common phrase for pastors to use, to talk about my church. It's just, it's common. It's just, it's, it's, it's wording, but it, to me it has meaning because it is our church in that we are together in this, but most importantly, it is God's church. It is God's flock. This is not, Trinity is not my church in that sense. We are the body of Christ We are the bride of Christ. We belong to Him. The flock doesn't belong to the shepherds, Peter is reminding them. The flock belongs to God. And the shepherds then have a stewardship responsibility to care for and watch over the flock. And if you notice how Paul uses this metaphor when he addresses the elders, let's go to that now, that passage in Acts chapter 20, 28. So Paul is meeting with these elders from the church in Ephesus, and he says to them, keep watch over yourselves and all the flock which, is, which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. So Peter's using this, Paul's using the same idea. Jesus, the good shepherd, saved the sheep by shedding his blood for them. And the shepherd leaders are the watch and care for those sheep, God's sheep. When we think of David, we usually think of David as a warrior. We think of David as the king. We think of David writing all the psalms that he wrote. And all those things are true of David, but before he was any of that, David was a shepherd, a shepherd boy. That's how he grew up, taking care of his father's sheep. And especially since David, we know David played the harp, so sometimes we get this image of shepherds of just kind of sitting out on a rock and there's the sheep around them grazing and all is kind of quiet, just strumming the harp. And it's just such a pastoral, that's the shepherd kind of scene, quiet and calm. But it wasn't always that way. And shepherds weren't just passive, nice, calm, little, little boys. When David comes to fight Goliath and Saul says, well, how can you do this as a boy? He says, hey, I've been a shepherd. I protect my sheep. I fought off lions and bears to protect those sheep. I've killed them with my bare hands. And David knew that as a role as a shepherd, he was a protector. He had to fight to protect those sheep 
And so, don't get the wrong image. When Peter talks about church leaders as shepherds, he means you are there to protect the flock of God from spiritual attacks. The wolves, the enemy that would come against God's sheep. And he goes on to give three sets of negative and positive characteristics. He describes the calling of the church leaders here. The first is in the middle of chapter 2. So we've got these two, three couplets. So kind of two things put together, a negative side and a positive side. So just watch what Peter's doing here. Middle of verse 2. He says to the leaders, not because you must, but because you are willing as God wants you to be. So we've got to start with the right motive. Leaders need to have the right motive. So don't become a leader in a church because you feel under compulsion to do so, because someone tells you you should, because someone begs you to serve. There needs to be a God call to this, a willingness of heart to say, I know this is what God wants me to do. Don't let somebody talk you into it. You know, when we have our process of nominations, We ask you not to talk to the people, just to make those nominations, and the nominating committee makes that contact because we want a private conversation for that individual to really consider that, pray through that, and say, is this something God's called me to or not? And because if they are not willing, ready to serve, then they should not serve. Their name should not stand to be an elder or a deacon. So the first question is, are you willing? There needs to be a right motive, leaders motivated by God's Spirit to lead. The second thing is in, the second couplet is in verse 2, not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve. So here we have the right goal in mind as well. Peter's telling the leaders, don't do this to pursue personal gain. It's not about what's in it for you. So we don't want pastors or Elders or, or leaders who are motivated either by financial gain or by personal, for personal reputation or for power or for influence or because they want to impress other people. None of that can be part of this. That cannot be the goal. The goal is that they, they want to serve. To serve. That's the goal. Not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve. Paul says it this way, 1 Timothy 3.1. And I notice, by the way, it's on our, this verse is on our nominations form as well. Whoever aspires to be an overseer desires a noble task. It's a noble desire to serve. That's what Paul is looking for. The enthusiasm, the energy to serve the Lord in this capacity. There's one more couplet, verse 3. Not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. So this third thing is the right approach as well. Leaders who are taking the right approach. So not lording, but leading. And here again, I think Peter is driven by what he heard from Jesus because Mark 10, Jesus specifically says to his disciples, don't lead like the world. The people you see around you, they lord it over others. It's authoritarian It's about the leader. It's about controlling or manipulating other people. And Jesus says to his disciples, that's not how you're to lead. In fact, Jesus said to them, whoever wants to be great among you must be servant. Whoever wants to be first must be the slave of all. That's how you serve in God's kingdom. That's how you lead in God's kingdom. Church leaders must model humility, model servanthood, 
So that's what you're looking for. If you're a member here and you're thinking about who to nominate for an elder or a deacon, think of someone who is already humbly serving God here in Trinity. That's the candidate we want. Verse 4, Peter says, there's a reward for those who shepherd with humility and with care. Verse 4, when the chief shepherd appears, he will re- you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. Now, the chief shepherd, of course, is the good shepherd. That's Jesus himself. That's who Peter's referring to. And when Jesus establishes kingdom, Peter's saying he will then reward his under-shepherds. Which, by the way, reminds us, for one thing, there may not be a lot of earthly reward for those who serve in the church right now. Sometimes it's thankless service. But the reward comes from Jesus. He will will reward when the time comes. Those who faithfully care for His flock will receive, He says, a crown of glory that will never fade away. So I think probably what Peter had in mind was what was the typical athletic rewards, the crown that they would wear in the ancient Olympic Games. In fact, some of our more recent Olympic Games, they've pulled this out just kind of as a reminder of where this whole Olympic thing came from. It's this, this wreath of laurel leaves, but it was live, it was cut, so eventually it would fade and it would die. And Peter's saying the crown of glory that God has for His leaders is not like that. It won't fade. It won't pass away because it's the glory of God. There's an interesting reference to a crown of glory, 1 Thessalonians 2, 19. This is pretty cool. Peter, this time is Paul. I keep getting these guys mixed up. So, Peter and Paul. Peter's writing this letter. Paul writes this to the Thessalonian church, and he says, for what is our hope, our joy, or crown in which we will glory in the presence of our Lord Jesus when He comes? So, what is this crown of glory? Is it not you? I love that. Paul is saying, you know what the crown of glory is that those who've served the church of God, the flock of God? It's the flock itself. It's the people who are in heaven because of your ministry, because you have led well, because you have faithfully served. That's your glory. That's the promise to those who lead to those under-shepherds of the good shepherd, the chief shepherd. So now Peter turns to the flock, those being led by the shepherds. And so here's our second key point for this morning. God cares for the humble who submit to Him. The humble who submit to Him. Now, notice how Peter shifts gears here when you get to verse 5. In the same way, he says, he's kind of shifting around here, he says, you who are younger, submit yourselves to your elders. Now, Submission is not a new theme, right? We've talked about this numerous times as we've gone through 1 Peter. If you followed through this series, we looked at how Peter addressed submission to governmental authority. He addressed submission to employment kind of relationships and authority, about authority in the family. And now he's talking about authority, leadership in the church and the need for submission in this place. And ties it again directly to submission to God. Over and over, every time when Peter talks about submission, it's not just on the human level, it's also on the divine level. It's about submission to God. So what does Peter mean when he says, the younger should submit to the elders? Now, since we had this announcement this morning about Mission 7118, maybe you're thinking of that. And it probably applies. So if you step in, adults, as a volunteer, then you have this role of speaking into the lives 
And you need to do it humbly and gracefully in the lives of, of our youth. And those of you teenagers, part of our youth group here, I'm speaking to you for just a second. If you get into this, if you're involved in Mission 7118 and an adult volunteers to speak into your life, then I want to encourage you to listen. That's what Peter is saying. If the elders of your church family take time to speak into your life, then listen to them. They have something to share with you. They're concerned about your spirit, your life, your growth, your walk with the Lord Jesus. There's an element of submission involved in this. But he's not just talking about age. This isn't just a younger and older, because otherwise you'd have to, Peter would have to explain, okay, how old do you have to be to be an elder, right? How young do you have to be to be a younger here? He doesn't say specifically. So some of it is age, but it's also about spiritual maturity. He's saying those that have been chosen to be leaders because of their spiritual maturity, then there should be a submission that happens as a result of that. The church should be placing spiritually mature individuals in positions of leadership, and then when they do, the church as a whole, we should be in submission to those spiritual leaders that God has put in place. So, I'll just put a picture of this nomination form again just so you see how practical this is for us right now. Whether you pick up one of the hard copies out in the foyer or you get online and you do the nomination form, if you're a member of Trinity and you participate in this way, then know that what we're looking for, the names that you put on this form are to be those you see as spiritually mature. We don't put an age on there. You don't have to be such such and such an age to be an elder. We want spiritual maturity in our elders and in our deacons. And then, as they are elected, as they are placed, please pray for them, support them, encourage them, follow their leadership. Peter goes on then to address all of his readers. So now he speaks to the shepherds and the flock alike. Because leadership and submission, when you put these two things together, it only works if there is across-the-board humility. So I think that's why Peter steps back in verse 5 here and says, now all of you. So now he's talking about to the leaders, he's talking to the followers, he's talking to the shepherds, he's talking to the flock. Verse 5, all of you, clothe yourselves with humility toward one another because God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. Here again, I love what Peter does. you got to see this in the wording that he uses. He says this to us, clothe yourselves with humility. Put it on. It's not just a word picture for putting on. The word for clothe is actually the word that was used of a servant's apron. So when a servant was going to do their work of serving, they would put on this apron to do their work. And surely Peter is remembering that night when the disciples and Jesus gathered for the last supper, for their Passover meal. And remember what happened? John tells us in this passage, Jesus, in John 13, Jesus took off his outer garment. He got up from the meal, took off his outer garment. He put on a towel. He put a towel around himself, the servant's apron. He put on himself. He got on his knees. He went around the and he washed the feet of the disciples. There was a beautiful picture of humility right there for the disciples to see. 
And Peter, in remembering that, he says, we got, we got to put on the towel. we got to put on the, the servant's apron. We need to humbly serve one another. That's what it's got to be in the body of Christ. Just like Jesus did. What does this look like for us? I like the really, really short definition of Charles Spurgeon who said, humility is to make a right estimate of oneself. A right estimate of oneself. So it's not to demean yourself. Humility doesn't mean I think terrible of myself, I have nothing to offer, I have no gifts, I have no abilities, I can't do anything. That's not humility. That's demeaning what God has put into you. So a right estimate of oneself is to say, yes, I acknowledge that I have sin, I have failures, I have flaws, I acknowledge that. I need God's grace, but I also am thankful for the gifts God's given me, for the ways that God has worked in me, for the calling He's placed on my life, and out of gratitude, I want to serve Him with those gifts and abilities. That's a right estimate of oneself. That's true humility. And it's seen, so it's seen the value that we have because of Jesus, but it's also seen the value in others that they have because of Jesus. That's why it's humility toward one another in the church. And that's why Paul says, think of others more as more important than yourself because you're seeing the value of Christ in them as well. So why is it so important to do this? Why, why do we have to put on humility in our lives? Well, Peter goes on and, and, and quotes a proverb here again, Proverbs 3.34, to make his point. And he says these words that are right on the screen again. He's, God opposes the proud, but He gives grace. He shows favor to the humble. The proud find themselves, he says, and the proverb says, in direct opposition to God's purposes and plans, which is not a good place to be, by the way. You don't want to be in opposition to God. That's what got Satan thrown out of, out of, out of heaven. It's because of this kind of pride. But the opposite is also true, that the humble find themselves in God's favor. That's where we want to be, humbling ourselves before Him so that His favor, His blessing comes on our lives. In fact, Peter goes on in verse 6 to articulate the blessing. He says, humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand that He may lift you up in due time. So here again, like I said, it's, it's about submission to God. That's what Peter circles back around to. He says, humble yourself before God under His mighty hand, which is an interesting phrase too, because in the Bible we see God's hand as a word picture for His discipline, His punishment, His power, but it's also a picture of His love and His care. All of that is pictured in God's hand. The hand of God administers discipline in your life, but it's also His hand that will bring deliverance, as Peter says, at just the right time. When God knows you need it most, He will deliver. Place yourself, humbly place yourself under God's mighty hand. About seven years ago, I, I went in for a surgery on my left ear um, to have a, uh, the little stapes, which is a little tiny bone in the inner ear that's supposed to well, mine wasn't vibrating very well anymore, and so they were going to go in and lay that thing aside, kind of cut it out of place, and then put a titanium stapes in my ear in its place that would vibrate the way it was supposed to so that my conductive hearing would be restored. 
So I went into the surgery and they put me under mostly, not quite all the way. So there's this, if you've ever been in that, it's a weird state. So you're kind of aware of what's going on, but you can't really do anything about it. You can't, you can't move, you can't really speak. You're just, you're just vaguely aware of your surroundings. I submitted myself to the hand of the surgeon. I submitted myself to that team. I let them drug me. I let them put me on that table. I let them dig into the side of my head through my ear. Why would I do that? Because by humbling myself, submitting myself to that, my, my hope, my expectation was that at the end of that surgery, I would be woken back up. I would be restored. I would be lifted back up. And my hearing would be restored, which it was. But I had to humble myself to be lifted back up. And that's what Peter is saying. He's saying you've you got to humble yourself. If you want God to lift you up and do f- for you what he can do in your life, then you have to start by humbling yourself, submitting to God's will in your life, and then you're trusting him to lift you up at the right time. It always comes back to God's timing, which often is not our timing. It may not be when you want to be lifted up, but you are submitting yourself humbly to God and His timing to lift you up. And to motivate us to do that, Peter offers one one of the most wonderful invitations in all of Scripture. Verse 7 has always been one of my favorites. I memorized it as a kid. Maybe some of you did too. The NIV says, cast all your anxiety on Him because He cares for you. So simple, but so profound. I remember learning this in the King James Version, which basically says, casting all your cares on Him because He, for He cares for you. And I love that juxtaposition of the word cares, right? Because when we cast our cares, that is our, our anxieties, our worries. And when He cares for us, what He gives us in exchange, that's a reference to His loving care. That's, what, that's the invitation here. And Peter is saying, this is what God is offering you if you will humble yourself before Him. We give our cares, our worries to God, and He takes them from us because He loves us so much. But it doesn't mean, and please understand this, it doesn't mean we rid ourselves of all of our problems. That's not the promise here. We cast off the worry about those problems. We give the anxiety about our problems and our issues to God. So we can know that He's there to care for us no matter what we're going through. God is there to do this for us. So Peter's not talking about a carefree life. That's not the goal here. There will always be cares in this life till we get to heaven. But he's talking about a care-filled life because when we cast our cares on Him, He cares for us. His care, His loving care is abundant in our lives. Someone said to me after the first service, we were talking a little bit about the passage and the message and this verse specifically, and she said, you know, what I realized is that my cares are His cares because He cares for me. I like that. My cares become His cares, and He does that because He cares for me. Peter's saying that's the opportunity, that's the privilege you have to give your cares to the one who loves you most. This uh, past week, our kids who live in the Atlanta area have, have been involved in a move, and uh, 
even though it's only from Marietta to Smyrna, even if you've moved ever, you know that even a little move, a short move, can be very stressful and, and, and take a lot of time and work and effort. And they've been preparing their house and painting and doing all kinds of work too. So we, they cast their cares on us for the weekend. Now, I don't mean, I mean our two little grandsons that you see pictured there, but I don't mean they were, came as burdens. I mean that if you're trying to move, there's some, a lot more anxiety if you also have to take care of two toddlers. So the toddlers came to live with us for Friday and Friday night and Saturday and Saturday night and into, into this morning. And we were grateful to have those cares cast upon us. Why? Because we care for them because we love our kids, because we love our grandkids. It was a blessing for us to help them in this way. And see, we, this makes sense to us in a human standpoint, so why wouldn't we get this with God? That if He cares about us so much, if He loves us so much, He wants us to give Him our cares, to come to Him and share with Him our anxieties, our worries, our fears, to cast it on Him, knowing that He cares for us. This is one of the beautiful promises, one of the beautiful invitations of Scripture. And, and, if, and if we understand that on a human level, how much more does our Heavenly Father love and care for us? Why hesitate? Well, we know we ha- why we hesitate. It's because of pride. And this is exactly what Peter is speaking against. God opposes the proud, but He gives grace, favor to the humble. Cast your cares on Him because He cares for you. So maybe this morning you're carrying a burden that you don't need to be carrying. Maybe there's something you just keep dragging along behind you and you need to give it to the one who loves you. You need to talk about it with him. You need to pray over it with him. You need to cast your cares, your anxieties on the one who loves you. And, and maybe this is true if you are a leader as well. By the way, as a clear reminder here because Peter changes and talks to everybody, the leaders are not immune from having cares. In fact, sometimes leaders have the greatest burdens and cares and anxieties of all. And so, if you are a leader in any capacity, hear this. Don't just hear your call to be a leader. Hear the call to humble yourself and cast your anxieties on the Lord. Because as leaders, sometimes we can be the, we can be the proudest of all. We can have the toughest struggle with pride that keeps us from asking for the help that we need. Peter says to us as a church, as the flock of God, clothe yourselves with humility toward one another. Wait on God. Trust His timing. Put your hope on Him. Cast your anxiety on Him because He cares for you. So, like the recipients of this letter from Peter, maybe maybe you're suffering something right now. Maybe you identified with what we talked about last week. Maybe there's a fiery ordeal going on in your life right now. Or or maybe there's just some nagging anxiety worries that are holding you back. Whatever it is, the message from Peter is very clear. And it's a message from the God who loves you this morning. Cast your anxieties on Him because He cares for you. Humble yourself and He will lift you up in His time. I'm going to ask the worship team to come on forward and get ready to lead us in this last song. And 
I just invite you to a prayer response. You can sing it. You can pray it right where you are. I'm going to open the altar this morning too. We haven't done this a whole lot because we've kind of been staying in our pods and our places over the recent months. But this morning, maybe this is how you need to humble yourself. You need to come to the prayer bench or to the to the stairs and, and just kneel and pray. And if you do, please feel free to do that as we're singing. Or maybe it's just right where you are, but think about what God is doing in your life. Think about what you are carrying that you need to be casting. Humble yourself this morning. Wait on Him. That's what this song talks about. So let the song minister to you as well, even as you're thinking and praying through this. Let me give you a few of the words of the song says, I will wait for you, speaking to God, I will wait for you. Through the storms, through the night, I will wait for you, I will wait for you, for your love is my delight. God cares for you, He loves you. He wants you to come to Him this morning. Let's stand, let's pray, let's respond, whatever you need to do with the Lord this morning.
And God himself has paid the price And all who trust in him today Find healing in his sacrifice That all who trust in him today Tell him we're going to wait for him. <laughs> 